Man, I love that line of our heart abandon. Man, we gotta we gotta give God our hearts. I mean that's the that's the ticket everywhere. Because when we give him our heart, that gives us the capacity to love. And love is the key. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Father. You know, I was thinking about the flags and stuff. You know, uh, in 2020 was probably the worst year that we've ever had in, in my life. I was born in 68. I know you're doing the math right now. But anyways... You know, growing up as a child in the 70s and 80s and 90s and, and stuff like that, I don't remember a worse year than 2020. You agree? But I believe that, you know, when everybody was prophesying that 2020 was a year of perfect vision, yeah, it makes sense. But it really, it really had to reset our vision. And the word that the Lord gave us as a church was during that time was this is a decade of declaration. And so I, I think about the flags that are up here that Miss Debbie has supplied. And they are declarations. Yeah. They are flags of declaration. And, and that's such a cool thing. You know, it, you may go to a church and see the flags and you go, oh, I'm really uncomfortable with that. That's okay. You know, God can't really shift us until we get uncomfortable. But the, the Bible says in Isaiah that, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the Lord will raise up a standard. Yeah. And that word standard is a banner of victory. Yes, come on. And when you, when, when you see these flags, and you, you know, you may not be comfortable coming up and grab one and, and run around the room or anything like that. But they, when you look at the people who are waving the flags, they are... They are declaring victory in this place. Yes, come on. Victory over everything. Yes. Victory over addiction. Victory over sickness. Victory in every area of, of our lives. And so this is a decade. We're, we're three years into a decade of declaration. And God is declaring over us. I believe with all my heart he's declaring over us. We're in, we're in a good spot right now. I mean, we look at the world and things are kind of, you know, they're kind of quiet right now. But there's coming a day, not very long from now, politically, um, socially, culturally, there's coming a day that the pressure is going to move in, especially on God's church, on God's people. The pressure is moving in. And right now, when it seems like it's easy, is the time to be declaring. It's the time to be declaring what God has spoken over us. You know, Jesus died on the cross not so that, that, that we could just have a a uh, cush life here on this, uh, you know, during our lifetime. He died so that we could declare his blood, plead his blood. His blood is what did everything, what solved everything, what freed everything, what broke the chains, what broke the, the shackles from our lives. And so as we're in this time, I, I encourage you to, when, when you leave this place, I encourage you to begin to declare God's goodness over our lives, over you, over your family, over your house. And man, just let's just see what God will do. As we move into more pressure, I, I used to work in a, a manufacturing plant back in Oklahoma. And in that, we built, um, I say we built, I was the buyer, the purchasing agent for all the parts that other people built. But we would order to pipe in. And before we could send that pipe into the field, into the refineries, we had to pressure cap those that pipe and pressure test it and make sure that when we found the failure, the weak spot in that pipe, that we would we would find that weak spot, then go in and fix it to where it would never be a be a pressure point again. So as we as people begin to feel, especially as Christians begin to feel that pressure, God is going to reveal some leaks to you. And when he reveals those leaks, don't take it as a failure. Take it as a fight. Repair that. And and watch what God will do in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray over that real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you. I praise you, God, for this time that we're in. God, even though politically, socially, culturally, we uh, have the feeling of... of 
kind of just uh, ease right now. Father, I pray that as we move forward and the pressure moves in, that God, that you would give us the ability to see the weak spots in our own lives and that we would be able to repair those things and repent of those things and, and shore up those things so that we can be people who walk in a decade of declaration. God, we declare your goodness. We declare your blood. We declare what Jesus Christ did on that cross and that we move forward with you and and watch you bring freedom, not only to our lives, but to the lives of those who are around us. Father, I pray that if we and our families have anyone that doesn't know you, that, that we're, we know that they're not in the place where they need to be. Father, we lift them up to you and ask that you would encounter them and, and bring them to salvation, God. I thank you and I praise you so much for who you are and what you call each and every one of us to be and do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You all received that this morning? Well, give the Lord a hand clap. Give our worship team a hand clap. And then turn around and tell somebody hello. Give them a high five. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? You good? Are you soggy? Man, it's a soggy mess out there, isn't it? I went out to feed our mare this morning, and she's walking in mud, and she needs her hooves trimmed, and I got to get a hold of my guy to come out and do it. But, man, it's muddy in that pen. I don't know if that'd be very fun, trimming up a muddy-footed horse. Anyways, I'll get it. I'll get it done. It's good to see you guys this morning. We want to welcome all of our Facebook Live family. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Our California family, Kingdom Ranch Ministries, thank you for joining us this morning. We love you all and uh, can't wait to see you in a a couple of weeks. And uh, so anyways, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, I told somebody earlier, um, at least that's what they put on me. You know, they put the title of a lead pastor on me. I hope I'm a good leader. And I'm always working on it, so uh, it's an honor to get to stand before you this morning and kind of finish up what we've been talking about. I don't know if it's going to finish it at all. Oh, we got we got stuff, business to do, don't we? See, y'all, y'all help me. Um, I forgot this is the first of the month, and my wife is sitting here going, stop, stop. Um, but anyways, this is first of the month, and we always pray over our tithes and offerings at the first of the month, so I ask you to forgive me, Kelly, forgive me for, for, uh, just jumping right in. So I, I'm talking about hurry today in my talk. So, uh, so I'm, I'm hurrying. And so I just need to slow down and Kelly, come on up. We, we like to pray, pray over our tithes and offerings. And so Kelly's going to come and talk to us. Well, I was actually going to say, um, I get to do my job so you can do your job best. So that was like the perfect intro. <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Kelly Herrick, and I get to, um, I don't know what you would call it, manage? I'm the CFO. I don't like that. <laughs> um, one thing about our church that I think is a little bit unique as far as the tithes and offerings go, and if you don't know what tithes and offerings are, you're new to the faith or whatever, I would strongly recommend you go and kind of look it up for yourself because I'm not going to, like, explain that right now. But um, one thing that we do as a church is, first of all, we don't pass a hat. Um, but also, everything, every donation that comes in, 10% of that goes out. So we are a tithing church, and I strongly believe that we have reaped so many benefits from that, and it makes us unique. But aside from that, we don't count any offering as small. We get bracelets from our kids in the back and every single one of them is precious. And I just, from our, from us to you, thank you. So one thing that God showed me about tithing a while back, and I actually just wanted to share it, um, is from John chapter two, verse 12. And it's actually where Jesus goes into the temple and he turns the tables over because there's merchants 
in the temple. Well, I'm going to read it to you, but when I read it when I was young, I was, was like, Jesus, that's so awesome. You're just going in there and you don't like people selling stuff in the church and tipping over those tables. But there's a backstory that I learned later, and it shows a picture of what Jesus does when we align our hearts with his will. So the verse, it says that after Jesus, he's in he's in Canaan or Galilee, Galilee. He was in Galilee. After this, Jesus, his mother and his brothers and his disciples went to Capernaum and stayed there for a few days. The time was close for the Jewish Passover to begin, so he walked to Jerusalem. He walked to Jerusalem. That's 80 miles. As he went into the temple courtyard, he noticed it was filled with merchants selling oxen, lambs, and doves for exorbitant prices, while others were overcharging as they exchanged currency behind their counters. Jesus found some rope, made it into a whip, and he drove out every one of them and their animals from the courtyard and the temple, and he kicked over their tables, filled with money, scattering it everywhere, and he shouted at the merchants, get these things out of here. Don't you dare make my father's house into a center for merchandise. And the disciples remembered that he said, in this, that the scripture said, I am consumed with a fiery passion to keep your house pure. So like I said, there's a backstory. So he traveled 80 miles. He walked 80 miles. Well, the Jewish people, when they were come to the festivals, they would also pay the temple tax, which was about half a shekel, which was one or two days worth of wages in that day. Um, often those people were traveling so far. They were walking hundreds of miles. They were also bringing their sacrifice as well as the temple tax. When they walked that far, and think about like when we give our tithe, I get irritated when it takes me two times of trying to do it online for five seconds. They walked for days to bring their sacrifice. That spoke to me personally. Um, but aside from that, they didn't always weren't able to bring their animal sacrifice, their doves or their oxen or their sheep. So they were kind of monopolized into buying those sacrifice animals at the temple or outside of the temple. So what was happening is these merchants were coming in and charging like, it's kind of like being at the airport after you've gone through security, you know, and you're thirsty and you're hungry and you really need to eat because if you don't, your flight's like six hours long and you're going to pass out. So they have you. They have you by the tail. They're, you're going to charge 50 bucks for what you'd buy at the grocery store for three. Well, that's kind of what these merchants were doing. Well, when these people were coming, they were coming with a pure heart for God. They were bringing their sacrifice. They were paying their tax. They were doing what they were called to do, what God had asked them to do. And what Jesus did, he didn't just turn over the tables because he wanted to keep his father's house pure. He turned over the tables because he was going before these people and he was not letting the worldly system take advantage of them. So when we put ourselves in alignment with his will and we keep our house pure and we do those things. And I'm not saying only give here, give where God tells you to give, give to who God tells you to give to. But when you align it that way, God goes before you and he doesn't let you be taken advantage of. And I can tell you personally, so many times things have happened where we could have been taken advantage of and we weren't. And that worldly system God says, nope, I'm not going to let you do it. And I love that he says that there was a fiery passion because there's another account that one of the apostles said that when he tipped those tables over, there was a fire in his eyes that was similar to what the fire in, like, it talks about the, the fire in his eyes was similar to what they see, uh, the fire of God, essentially. That's how much passion he has for you and when you put your heart right with him. So anyway, I hope you get a little bit out of that. It's good. So let's pray over that. Lord, we just praise you. We thank you so much for this house. But Lord, we pray for every heart here. We thank you for them. Jesus, thank you so much for going before us, for turning those tables in our favor. Lord, I thank you. And I pray for doors of provision to open. But God, I pray that our hearts would be aligned with you in whatever you call us to do, wherever you ask us to give. Lord, let us have those surrendered hearts to give. Thank you so much 
for your love and the way that you take care of us. In Jesus' name. Wow. Good job. Thank you. Man. <clears throat> I, I think we just go home, right? Anyways, it's so cool. Uh, she uh, starts with John 12 because I'm going to start in John 11 today. So if you have your Bibles, if you would go over to John chapter 11 and uh, we'll get started today. I'm going to continue with uh, the kind of the series that we've been doing on dealing with burnout. And it is such a common thing in our, in our culture, in our society. It's a common thing that people um, get burnout. I mean, Becky said it best, you know, it was just, there's, there's things, we all deal with those symptoms. We all deal with those things that come up when we get tired at our job. We get tired in our relationships. We get tired and, and sluggish in those things. And when we do, those are, those are warning signs to tell us that there is, um, there is something happening in our life that we need to take care of, that we need to begin to, um, uh, deal with. So I, I hope that that through this um, three-week series that I've been doing on burnout, I hope that it, it ministers to you, gives you a heads up at when we start feeling that way, because we all get that way. Amen? Amen? So with that, you know, I started off this whole uh, thing. What, what really led to <clears throat> me wanting to talk to you guys about this was a quote that I heard. And so uh, this quote is, um, it's one of those things when you, when you first hear a quote, you say, you, you put the person's name with it, you know, you say, like so-and-so always says. And then the second time you, you say it, you say it's, it's uh, you know, it's like I heard, right? And then the third time you say it, you can own it because it's, you can go, it's like I always say. So that's where we're at. Three weeks in, this is what I always say. So here's the quote. If your output is more than your input, then the upkeep will become your downfall. When our output becomes more than our input, see, it's relational. It's a relational thing with God. When our output becomes more than our input, then the upkeep or the maintenance can become your downfall. And so that's where burnout happens. I think that is the best definition of burnout that we can have because life happens life happens fast and when life happens fast we we all have the opportunity to experience burnout in our lives amen and so that's what we've been talking about because i believe that you know having passion in our purpose having that passion that passion uh, it's like what kelly just read that jesus had he had a fiery passion passion is about fire and you can't burn out if you're not on fire. Amen. Amen. You can't burn out if you're, if you're not on fire. So we need to get on fire for things because when you get on fire for something, you will have the opportunity to burn out at some, at some point. And if you don't keep your relationship, it's a relationship deal. If you don't keep your relationship with God moving forward, then, then that output will become more than your input. Amen. <clears throat> When we don't stay sensitive to the symptoms within our habits, did you hear that? When we don't stay sensitive to the, to the um, um, symptoms that come up in our habits, it's our habits that, that begin to form our culture. And I'm not talking about culture, um, you know, nationwide, churchwide, whatever, I'm talking about every single one of us have a culture to us. We have things that we do. We have habits that we, that we form. And so those things, those symptoms come up within our habits or our habits reveal the symptoms that when, when those symptoms come up, we'll begin to entertain burnout. And we don't want to entertain burnout because when you entertain burnout, you, you find out that you really like that. It becomes, it becomes a habit. And, and one time I was around the other preachers and stuff like that. And I said something that got, that got me rebuked by another preacher. I said, we're all just creatures of habit. You've heard that line before, haven't you? We're all creatures of habit. And he says, ah, I rebuke that. And I stood there and I thought, 
Okay, I just got rebuked. What do I do with this? You know, do I change my language? Do I change that? And I thought, no, we are. We're creatures of habit. And God made us creatures of habit. But it depends on what habits you lean into as to what is good or what is bad. Because we are creatures of habit. And, you know, the best, the best um, scripture that I can think of that says that we all, that God gave us the ability to have habits and addictions, not addictions for bad. He gave us the ability to have addiction for him, for, for that relationship. And in Proverbs chapter 4, uh, I think it's around verse 20 or something like that, he, he says, My son, incline your ear, listen to my sayings, incline your ears to my words. And that word incline is the closest thing we have to addiction in the Bible. Addiction is not mentioned in the Bible, but being inclined, which means leaning into. You know, we go home and get in our recliners to rest. But he's saying, I want you to incline into me, to lean into me, to make me a habit, to make me an addiction. Make my words. He says, listen to my words. My words can become your addiction. So we are creatures of habits and habits become a part of our personal culture. And, and we have to, when, when that personal culture of habit is in our lives, then we have to keep an eye on our self care. Amen. And I, and I love, I love that, that, that Becky is a self care specialist. Uh, you know, she, that's her job is to help people continue in their self care. Amen. Amen. We all need to do that. It's not bad to, to see a counselor. It's not bad to have some some help. I've learned that as a preacher. And in 23 years of, of, of pastoring, I got to have some self-care or I'll burn out. My, my preaching habit, my pastor habit needs... Need some, needs some care. Amen. All right. It's not in my notes or anything like that, but I just thought I'd say that. Because burnout, I believe, is born out of two issues mainly. There are probably more, but I, I saw these two issues of busyness and hurry. Last week we talked about busyness. This week I want to talk about hurry. So with that, I'm going to tell you something. We're, we're running. I mean, I should have been talking about this 20 minutes ago you know, according to the plan of church, the way we do it. So if we go over 1030 today, it'll be all right, okay? We're not in a hurry. We just want God to to minister to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So with that, you know, during COVID back in 2020, I said, you know, earlier that that was a crappy year, right? And so during COVID, um, you know, some people vegged out on Netflix and Hulu and all that kind of stuff during that time during lockdown. You know, that really, you know, Tiger King was popular back then. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I heard everybody talking about it and all that kind of stuff. And and so many people staying home had to find something to do, so they 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 went into to Netflix mode. And um, it was during that time that um, because of the diagnosis that I had been given. And the, the tremors that I were, was experiencing at that time, I could not sit down with a book and read it because it would just, you know, the words I had to, I had to, you know, try to nod my head to see the, the words right, you know. So I got into, I got into audible books and, and I started listening to audible. And I, I listened to two books during that time that, that really inspired today's message. And so one of the books that I read or that I listened to, was called To Hell with the Hustle. To Hell with the Hustle by a guy named Jefferson Bethke. Phenomenal book. It, it, that book really ministered to me during that time. And one like it was um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And so both of them were a similar subject. Both of the guys that wrote those books at the same time, God was ministering to them about hurry and hustle. And so that really inspired what I'm going to talk about today. There's a lot of things that I heard in that, that I read in that, that I listened to and that ministered to my heart on, on hurry. Um, the last book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, was by a guy named John Mark Comer. Um, both of these guys are phenomenal Christian guys. And uh, so anyways, with that, I just wanted to tell you that if you want to go read those books or if this ministers to you today, that's where uh, a lot of this was inspired from. 
But anyways, let's uh, go in your Bible. We've got John chapter 11, right? This is a story that probably everybody, even if you've never been to church, you've probably heard this before. But uh, here in, in John chapter 11, verse 1, I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. This is going to read a little bit different, unless you've got a Passion Translation Bible on your phone or, or sitting in your lap. It says this in verse 1. It says, In the village of Bethany there was a man named Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. Mary was the one who would anoint Jesus' feet with costly perfume and dry his feet with her long hair. One day, Lazarus became sick to the, to the point of death. So his sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, our brother Lazarus, the one you love, is very sick. Please come. And when he heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death for Lazarus. But will be, will, but will bring glory and praise to God. This will reveal the greatness of the Son of God by what takes place. Now, even though Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he remained where he was for two more days. Finally, on the third day, he said to his disciples, come, it's time to go to Bethany. So let's skip on down to verse 17 and check this out. It says, now when they arrived at Bethany, which was only about two miles from, Jesus, uh, from Jerusalem, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So he died. Many friends of Mary and Martha had come to the region to console them over the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was approaching the village, she went out to meet him and Mary stayed in the house. She was pouting. That's just my term. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, my Lord, if I, if only you had come sooner, my brother would not have died. So do you see the, the thing that's going on here? I mean, she sent a message. Now she didn't go to Jesus personally and, and say my brother's sick, but Jesus kind of knew he got the message. He got the message from somewhere else and he stayed, the Bible says, for two more days. He stayed where he was for two more days. And then when he finally got there, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And she said, dude, I don't know if you can say that to Jesus, but she said, dude, dude, you, if you would have only been here, if you wouldn't have waited, if you wouldn't have stayed behind, if you would have hurried whenever I told you to come, my brother wouldn't be in the tomb. And he said, you know, I'll, I'll just paraphrase what he said. He said, your brother's going to be resurrected from the dead. And she says, well, I know in the last days he's going to be resurrected. But if you would have been here, if you would have been here. I begin to think about this and, and think about how many of us that have close friends and family, that if we heard that somebody really needed our prayers, our help, our hope that we carry, they would expect us or we would even expect ourselves to drop everything and rush to their bedside, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the way we're supposed to do things. That's the etiquette, so to speak. But you know what? Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't. That's not the way he did things. He didn't, he didn't respond to somebody's emergency. He didn't respond to, to, to his compassion that he did respond to, did not respond to manipulation, did not respond to what he think would be right, what he think that other people would think would be right. Jesus just didn't work that way. That was not his mode of operation. Hurry was not in anything that he did. I mean, when, when, when you walk 80 miles, when you walk 80 miles, you can, I mean, you ain't going to be in a hurry. Because if you're in a hurry, I mean, you're, you're gassed about mile number three. Uh, well, I am. I don't know about Jesus. He's probably in better shape than I am. But because he walked everywhere, you know. But he wasn't, hurry was not his deal. Hurry was not who he was. He didn't get in a rush. He didn't get in a panic. He didn't get in, he didn't go, oh my gosh, Lazarus, who I love is, Dad, I better get there and pray over the coffin. 
He, he didn't do that. He just wasn't in a hurry. My point in this is not that we shouldn't go to someone who's in a traumatic situation, that we shouldn't go to their bedside. Because Jesus had some insight into what was going to happen that we a lot of times don't, right? So that's not my, 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 my point is not that we shouldn't go, that we should be like Jesus and stay two more days and let somebody die. But my point is, is that we got to see that Jesus operated, operated in the grace of peace, in the grace of patience. He had peace and he had patience in his life. Amen. Amen. You know, the Bible here says that he cared deeply for Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And, and the Bible even says that he loved them. He loved them. That word love in the Bible is the, the Greek word agapeo. And it's based out of agape. Agape is the love of God. When you look that up, it's the love of God. We can't even measure the love of God. God's love is so big, we can't even measure. But Jesus, being all God and being all man, knew how to tap into that agapeo, that, that love. Uh, when you look that word lo- uh, love or agapeo up, it is the highest and the deepest love that anyone can have. And Jesus had that. He had the highest and he had the deepest love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Love and hurry. If you don't get anything else that I say today, get this. Love, that, that God kind of love, and hurry are, are, are not con- congruent together. They, are, they do not harmonize together. You can't be in hurry and be in love at the same time. It don't go together. They don't flow together. They don't harmonize together. Because everything that Jesus did, he did out of love. So if he's doing it out of love, he ain't in no hurry. I don't know how he was walking to Bethany, but I just think that he just... I mean, he's taking his time. He's taking his time. When I look around at the place that we're in today, the the society that we're in, the culture that we're in, we are living in and we become accustomed to a culture of faster. I mean, we, we want things faster. I mean, the um, faster, a faster speed is convenient. That's what they say. Who the heck are they anyways? And why do they have an influence on us? But they say that a faster speed is about convenience. It's about being in a place of convenience. But it's in that faster culture that we find this thing called FOMO. You all know what FOMO is? I know the young people know what FOMO is. I had to, I had to figure it out on my own when I heard somebody say, FOMO. I got FOMO. FOMO is the fear of missing out. The fear of missing out makes things faster. The uh, drive-through mentality makes things faster. We even got a, in the drive-through, they even have a clock on the wall that tells the time between you order, they take your order, and the time you pick up your order. And they're always trying to get faster, 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 faster. Well, most places are. <laughs> McDonald's? They ain't got it yet. But they're trying. They got a clock on the wall. <laughs> we, we've, even, even in, when you go into the store, self-checkout is supposed to be faster. Right? What's another? Amazon Prime. I mean, if we can't get our whatever it is, uh, we ordered a, a water pick the other day. And it said I could have it overnight. I could have it the next morning. I was like, give me a water pee. <laughs> so, you know, we're living in this culture of faster, this culture of faster. trying. How many of you all remember um, dial-up Internet? <laughs> I mean, we thought we were happening whenever we had dial-up Internet. 
We're like, this is awesome. Until we got Wi-Fi, and then we got Wi-Fi, and things. Now, if our Wi-Fi doesn't fire in a, in a half a second, we're we're mad. I'm gonna call that place and chew them out, you know. So so faster, this thing called faster. It, when when we get in that culture, when we, and I'm not saying it's wrong to get into that culture and want things faster, but when we become so um, addicted to faster. That it's so easy to fall into the waters of hurry culture when we don't even know that we're in it. I heard a, um, I don't know if it's a joke, it's more of an anecdote. I heard this and it was in the, it was in the, one of the guys wrote it in the hustle and hurry deal. But they said there were two young fish in the, in the ocean swimming along and an older fish met them. He come across their path. And he said, hey, guys, how's the water? And the two younger fish says, what the heck is water? That's us in this culture of faster. We can be in it but not know that we're in it. We can be in it and not have a clue that we're in it. And so it's easy for us to fall into the waters of hurry culture when we don't even know we're in it. A man named Dallas Willard, who is a author and pastor, said this. He said, hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our life today. A few weeks ago, Lynette and I were <clears throat> going somewhere. We had an appointment to, to be at, and we were driving across Greeley. And, uh, I mean, we, when we first moved here, we lived in Fort Collins and it got to the place where it was hard to get across town from all the traffic lights and all that kind of stuff. It just, it just irritate the snot out of you. So we, we moved to, to Greeley or close to Greeley and now Greeley's getting that way. It just, it takes, you know, you have to plan to get across town to be on time. And so we were driving across Greeley and, Within a mile, I got stopped at the third traffic light. I mean, I stopped at the one, and I was like, okay. I stopped at the second one, and I'm like, Ugh. And when I stopped, got stopped at the third one, I mean, I'm on the brakes. And, of course, she's like, mm. And I said, dang it. And she, she's sitting there, and she goes, what are you so uptight about? As only my wife can say. She says, she says, what, you know, what are you on the edge about? She didn't say it mean. She, she said it. I, I, that's kind of, that's kind of dramatic. She says, what are you on the edge about? And I said, these stupid lights. Spit all over myself. I said, these stupid, stupid lights. And I, and I start blaming past political leaders. Because it's easy to blame somebody for the lights not being synced together, you know. So, so, I, so I come up to the red and I go, Obama, like he had anything to do with it. But anyways, we're, and she's, what you know, what are you, what are you on edge about? And I said, these stupid, stupid lights. And she got really quiet. I mean, that's a for my wife to get quiet is something. Yeah, I'm in trouble. And she just she just looked at me and said that that makes me very sad for you. And I said, God, that woman you gave me, you know, I, I, I pulled the atom. I pulled the atom card, you know, at that point. But she said that 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 makes me sad to see you get all worked up like that. The gravity of that statement that she made was so impactful to me. I mean, I mean, she could have, she could have said, she could have said to me, you know, just chill out. Just chill out. One of the things she says to me sometimes, she says, slow your roll, Indian. <laughs> she, she brings my, she brings my heritage into this. You know, she brings, she brings the, 
the Cherokee, you know, heritage into this. And she said, slow your roll, Indian. I mean, if she would have said that, it would have given me a reason to, to bark back at her. But when she said, that just makes me sad for you. That I had no, I had no leverage at that point, you know. And, and she, she said, that makes me sad. And that, that got to me. I mean, now, I mean, that was just a few weeks ago. Now, every time I come up to a red light, I'm like, I don't want to make my wife sad. And she's not even in the truck, you know. I know she'll smell it on me when I get, get home. You got it on edge again, didn't you? But that was a moment, that, that gravid, gravity moment, that weighty moment. Now, I decided that I'm going to start living my life slowing down to the speed of life. I want to slow down to the speed of life because I'm 54 years old. And I've probably lived more days than I have to live moving out. I mean, I, really, I don't want to get to 108 because it's like I don't want to. I don't want to be old, you know. But I. But I'm. I'm. I want to slow down to the speed of life. And you know, why do I need? Why do I need to be in a hurry anywhere? Why do you need to be in a hurry anywhere? Why do we need that? Because hurry is not a virtue. Hurry is not fun. And hurry does not really have any kind of payoff. All that hurry does for us is make us sad. It's just a sad life if that's the life that we're going to live. Because hurry is addictive. Hurry is ugly. And hurry is not loving. It's not loving at all. In our modern time, hurry is masked as convenient. And convenience sells. I mean, if somebody can make your life more convenient, we'll buy it. Because they, they, they sell convenience through hurry. Another author and pastor that wrote a book called Soul Keepings, his name is called, his name is John Ortberg. And John Ortberg said this, he said, I cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. I cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. Because the kingdom of God is a place of love. The kingdom of God is a place of peace. And the kingdom of God is a place of joy. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. Joy far exceeds happiness. But that's what the kingdom of God is. It's a place of love and peace and joy. In the kingdom of God, time is eternal in the kingdom of God. There is no time. Eternal time, is there's no time. In the kingdom of God, time cannot be measured and time is not measurable. So why hurry? If we're Christians, if we're, if we're people who live in the kingdom of God, we're supposed to be people who live in the kingdom of God. How can we be in a hurry? Like Orberg says, I cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. Jesus was never in a hurry because he lived in the kingdom of God. He didn't live on time. And because he didn't live on time, he can't be manipulated to be somewhere at a certain time. He can't be coerced into a place of being somewhere at a certain time. Because in eternity, time doesn't matter. It's not measured. It's not measurable. Imagine what life would be like if we switched our focus from just the words of Jesus to the pace of Jesus. That when we start reading the, the Bible, I mean, the words are good. I'm not saying eliminate the words, but as we read the Bible, as we read Jesus' life, as we lead, read the Gospels, that we begin to read it with our focus on his pace, how he lived. I mean, I think of the, the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, there was, a, there was a pace and a cadence to that sermon. 
And we have access to it in the book of Matthew, especially. But as he's, as he's preaching on the sermon, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, one of the uh, examples that I looked at was when he begins to talk about provision. He says, he says, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. He didn't, he didn't come at them and say, you know, you got to believe God for your provision. You got to sow a seed here and, and reap over here. No, he's just, he's just talking along and he says, look at the lilies of the valley. Look at the flowers. Look at the birds. I mean, Jesus is just talking. He's just in this pace. He's in this flow and he's not in a hurry. I mean, I would get in trouble if I had, if my sermons went three chapters. I mean, I know some of y'all feel like my sermons do go three chapters, four or five or six chapters, but Jesus went three chapters and the flow of what he did, everything, he changed. There, there's times I've read the, the Sermon on the Mount and thought, is he a little schizophrenic? I mean, is he a little, you know, is he he's just jumping off of every diving board here and he changes subjects so fast. It's not about him changing subjects so fast. It's about him operating in a pace and in a cadence. It's his pace. And last week we talked about yokes. Yokes. And not not egg yolks. That's yolks. We're talking about yolks that they would farm with. They'd put two animals in a yoke. And Jesus said to the people, he said, you know, take, take my yoke upon you. Come to me all who are uh, burdened and take my yoke upon you. Because he's going to make up our weaknesses, right? One animal is always weaker than the other. And it's the other that brings strength to the weaker one to make things happen in a, in a, in a better way, right? Make it more productive. He, he talked about yokes and, and one of the things that stuck out to me for going into this week was he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. While we're in the yoke with him, doing what he's called us to do, he says, learn from me. Learn from what I do. Learn how I bring strength to you. Learn from me. The word learn there, I found it pretty cool that the word learn that Jesus used in the Greek means to be in the habit of. To be in the habit of. He said, learn from me. Let my life become your habit. Let the way that I do things, the way that you see me pull you along beside me, the way I walk with you, learn from me. Make that your habit. Make my life, make your learning from me a habit. So I looked into three things. You knew I was going to have at least three things today because I tried to every week. What can we learn from the pace of Jesus? What can we learn by being yoked with him and keeping up with his pace? So number one, what we can learn is to recognize the hurry in our own lives. Recognize the hurry. Recognize where we get into a hurry in our own lives. One of the things that was pounded into Lynette and I from our spiritual father was integrity. He said, you got to have integrity. If you tell somebody you're going to be there at a certain time, you be there at that time. You be there. Don't be late. And there's a lot of time, a lot of times in that, that I hear my spiritual dad's voice saying, don't be late. And because I don't time things out well, because I do live in this world, even though I'm in the kingdom of God, I'm in this world and time is measured here. So if I'm not going to, if I'm, if I'm pushing the edge of time, I'm going to speed, I'm going to blow lights, I'm going to get on edge when I get stopped at a light, I'm going to get, I'm going to make my wife sad. <laughs> because I'm in a hurry. And because I don't want my integrity to be, to be compromised. But here's the deal. Integrity is important. But we have to set ourselves up for success. 
which means that if it takes you 15 minutes, you think it's going to take you 15 minutes to get there? Leave 20 or 25 minutes before. Just to account for stupid things happening in your life. Just to account for slowing down to the speed of life. Because when we set ourselves up for success, we'll not be stressed. We'll not be worried. We'll not have anxiety and we won't care. Jesus didn't care. He cared because he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, but he didn't care so much that it made him anxious to get there. Right? You know, the the Bible says, take no thought for tomorrow. That's what Jesus said. Take no thought for tomorrow. Don't get anxious about it. Live your life now. Live in a place of, of now. Live in this moment. Be present in this moment. I think I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but, but what I'm saying is that Paul, the Apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Peter said, cast all your care on the Lord. And so the, in that, we have to set ourselves up for, for success when we begin to recognize hurry is trying to hurry us through anxiety, through care, through integrity, not wanting to blow our integrity. Amen? Amen. Number two, be present in the moment. Be present in the moment. The kingdom of God requires us to slow down and listen. We have to, I mean, Jesus, when he got the news of Lazarus being sick to the point of death, he slowed down. He just slowed right there and listened to what God was saying. And he looks at his disciples and says, boys, this is a teaching moment that we're getting ready to enter into. And we're not going to leave for a couple of days. We're not. Thomas spoke up and says, if we go where Lazarus is, they're going to kill us. And we'll die with him. And Jesus goes, uh, yeah, I don't. He, he walked in love. If, it, if I was Jesus, I would have said, you're an idiot. But we, it requires us, the kingdom of God requires us to slow down and listen. What I have found is that some of my worst moments have come in the midst of hurry. I mean, some of y'all coming to church today, your spouse was not in a hurry, but you were. Okay, I should have said, don't respond to what I just said. But but some of us are more honest than others. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, some of my worst moments have been when I'm in a hurry. You kids get in the car. Get the dishes clean. Woman, I got to be there at this time. And, it, and then it drives an argument, which becomes a bad moment. And some of our worst moments come when we're in a hurry. A guy named Walter Adams. Walter Adams, you may not know who that is, but he was C.S. Lewis's spiritual director. He was basically a spiritual father to C.S. Lewis. Walter Adams said this, hurry is the death of prayer. Hurry is the death of prayer. Because how many times in the morning do we get up, we, we, we push the snooze button so many times that then we get up, have to get a shower, have to get our makeup on, have to get dressed, have to pick out clothes, have to get the car started, have to eat breakfast, all that kind of thing. And we run out the door and completely leave our Bible sitting on the shelf and we leave our prayer prayer closet empty that morning because we're in a hurry, because we pushed ourselves to the limit and now we're in a hurry. Hurry is the death of prayer. When we get in a hurry, something has to be sacrificed. And a lot of times it's God. So many times it's God in our lives that we sacrifice. Number three, you want me to get off that one so we can move on? All right, number three. Find a time to rest. Jesus took time to rest. His pace and his cadence were when he was in a meeting or something like that, he would say, all right, I'm done with the meeting. It's time for me to rest. I'm going to go get in rest and prayer. 
he told his disciples when he when they fed the the story of feeding the five thousand. When he got done, he said, "I'm going. I'm going over here. I'm going to pray and I'm going to rest. Y'all go ahead and go to the next place. I'll catch up later down the line." We need to find time to rest. The word rest in the New Testament is spoken over 40 times. And what I found about when I started looking at this rest is it's the enemy. It's the enemy who seeks rest and can find none. When when it talks about Jesus casting the demons out of someone, it says the, the demons come out and go into a deserted land and they're looking for rest, but they can't find any. We don't need to be the enemy. When we're in a hurry, we don't find rest. We are looking for rest, but we can't find it. Don't equal yourself with the enemy. Let the enemy be the enemy. Let us yoke ourselves with Jesus and enter into his rest. It's about his rest. We need to find rest. If we will rest, we will operate from rest and not operate in hurry. Red, if you want to come on up, you can. It's the enemy who seeks rest and finds none. John Orberg also said this about hurry. He said, hurry is not just a sign of a disordered schedule, but hurry is a sign of a disordered heart. Hurry is not just the, the sign of a disordered schedule. It's the sign of a disordered heart. It's a relationship thing. Hurry is a relationship thing. Burnout is a relationship thing. If your output is more than your input, it's like I always say. If your output is more than your input, then the upkeep will become your downfall. I don't believe in my heart that God intended for his children, his church, to be burned out. I don't think he intends for us to be burned out. I don't even think that he intends for us to use the excuse of being burned out. Because what is being said when we say, I'm burned out, is that our output has become more than our input. We haven't been taking our time with God. We've been in a hurry And we've sacrificed our relationship with God. Right? And that's not God's intent. He's the leader. Listen to me. He is the leader of our passion. He's the one that put the passion on the inside of us. He's the one that put the fire on the inside of us. He's the one that gave us purpose. He is the one that he leads us. He leads our purpose. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 it says that he is the author and the finisher of our faith he's the leader guys we can't author our own faith we can't author our own passion we can try but it just turns out to be us and when it turns out to be us we burn out he's the leader of our passion because the kingdom of oper- the kingdom of God operates in our lives through love, joy, and peace. Hurry has the possibility to eliminate all of that. And when hurry eliminates love, joy, and peace in our life, it's the kingdom of God on the inside of us that suffers. It's the kingdom of God everywhere that suffers. Because God says, I'm the leader of your passion and the leader of your pa- being the leader of your passion means you are expanding the kingdom of God every day. There's a Hebrew word that I learned a long time ago. And I am not, my mouth is really dry right now, so I'm not going to say it right. But it's called halakha. Halakha. You got to get the good in there, you know? It's called halakha. 
I'll just say halacha, okay? Halacha. H-A-L-A-C-H-A, okay? Ha. And that word means the walk. It means the way of walking. It talks, it's, it's talking about our lifestyle. It's our lifestyle, being yoked with Jesus, walking with him. You know, we, we use the metaphor of somebody being in relationship with God as they're, they're walking with God, right? I'm walking with God or they're walking, walking with God. When we see somebody in good relationship with Jesus, we say they're walking with Jesus. They're walking with God, right? But there's also another metaphor in that that says when we see somebody who's not walking in relationship, that they walked away from God, right? Oh, they, they've walked away from God. They're not in relationship with God the way they should be. They've walked away. But a life of hurry is not about walking away from God. It's about walking in front of God. It's about walking in front of him. It's about getting out of bed in the morning and grabbing a hold of Jesus' hand or the Holy Spirit's hand and saying, come with me and we'll do this today. He's the leader of our passion. And if he's the leader of our passion, he needs to be out in front. We need to grab his hand and walk in his pace and walk in his cadence and walk where he wants to go today. And if we're in a hurry, he suffers. And he's already suffered enough. When we're walking in front of Jesus, it will cause us to miss the essence of our relationship with him. The essence of our relationship, that, that place of, of peace, love, and rest. It's that place where the kingdom of God begins to operate and expand in our lives. I don't want to be out of essence with him. When we let him lead, hurry must take a back seat. And when hurry, when we learn how to make hurry take a back seat, when we learn how to to recognize hurry in our lives, when we when we do that, let me tell you something. When we do that, you will never burn out. And I'm not saying it's a sin. I'm just saying when we find our place ourselves in that place and we recognize that hurry and busyness and, and everything that's leading to burnout, when we feel those symptoms come up, it should be a thing to say, I need to get back to him. I need to slow down to the peace of life, the place of life, the pace of life. I need to just slow down and I need to get with him. And I'll push everything aside at this point in this moment and be with him. I love the title of that book, To Hell with the Hustle. And it's not trying to be a a Christian cusser. It's saying that is where hustle and hurry need to, to, to remain is in hell. They need to be sent to hell and remain there. We gotta slow down, guys. We gotta change the pace. It's about changing the pace. Amen. Does that minister anyone today? Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you, God, for who you are. And I thank you for the passion that you've placed on this inside of each and every one of us, God. And I pray that today, if there's people here that don't have, they they don't know their passion. They don't know what your life or life with you leads to and where they belong in the kingdom of God. Father, I pray that today would be a changing day, a day that we capture this moment and and just be in it to, to stay in it. Because Jesus, you went to the cross so that we could have a passion to expand the kingdom of God in our lives, the kingdom of heaven in our lives. So Father, I pray that today that for those of us who are walking with you, that we would not walk away from you and we would not walk in front of you, but we would use this day, this this time, this what we're learning from you will use it as a time to walk with you. And I pray, God, that if there's no one else in this room, none other than those 
who don't know you, who have never entered into relationship with you. Father, I pray that today, that if there's anyone in this room who's never entered into relationship with you, Father, I pray that today they would say, God, I give you my heart. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know how this is all going to play out, but I know in this moment that I need a relationship with you. And in that, I give you my, Jesus, I give you my heart. I believe what you did on the cross was for me. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe you were resurrected from the dead. And in that, I give you my heart so that you can help me walk out this relationship in a better way than those around me. Even the Christians around me have walked it out. I will be a person who walks it out the way it's supposed to be. I want to put myself in the yoke with you, and I want to walk with you. Father, I pray that those who said that for the very first time today, God, I pray that they would just step into that moment of salvation. Let the salvation, let your blood of salvation wash over them and bring freedom to their life. And that, Father, that we would slow down to the pace and the place of life. We thank you. We praise you, God. Father, I declare today that we are kingdom expanders we expand the kingdom of God every day. And that, Father, that it's not about being in this room. It's about going out these doors and taking your gospel, taking your good news to this world. And I thank you, God, that we've all changed our lives and we're walking with you in Jesus' name.